going to shape our thoughts for a few moments here this evening just to set up our time of prayer and set up our time for the Lord's Supper. I just ask you to consider, how do you respond to tragedy? I mean, how do you respond to it? And in particular, how do you respond when you're faced with situations in which, on this side of heaven, there is no resolution and there are no easy answers, and there is just the pain and the confusion and the feeling of empty handedness that you've got nothing. There are always those that occur in different seasons of people's lives. It's over the last couple of months, there's been several that I've been connected with. One of these occurred a month ago. This was the newspaper article. A 50-year-old man from Veneta was killed Wednesday morning when he was hit by a car on Highway 126, according to the news release from the Oregon State Police. Thomas Escariz was walking his dog on the shoulder of the highway at about 9.15 a.m. when he was struck by a silver Volkswagen Passat driven by a friend of mine who drove onto the shoulder of the highway for an unknown reason. The driver was not injured in the collision, and Thomas Ascarez died at the scene. The church's website say that this man, the driver, was a pastor of a congregation that meets on Sunday mornings at the Hi-Fi Music Hall. The victim's dog was not injured in the crash and was taken to an animal shelter, according to the police. Why couldn't the dog have died? Why was the man walking on a highway at 9.15 in the morning with his dog? And how could it be that just someone who's driving along in the way that any of us could do and just happen to drift over the shoulder for a minute? Why couldn't he have killed the dog? What do you do with that? As a family of Thomas, who the man who was killed, his nephews and nieces were all broken by the tragedy of it. You've got a man who's a pastor of a church whose a church is shattered by the tragedy of it, a family who's trying to make sense of what happened, what their dad did. What does that mean for charges being pressed against him? How, how do you respond in the midst of tragedy? Or if that tragedy just happens to be something that your job calls you to be regularly involved with. Not too long ago, I was talking with a physician who who deals with critical care issues and who is regularly confronted with death, sometimes because of mistakes he himself makes, sometimes because he's unable to save the patients that he's working on in the midst of their critical condition, and they die. And then suddenly, this physician's partner in this practice, his wife, out of the blue, woke up one morning unconscious, who was also a physician. And her husband rushed her to the ER, and she subsequently was medevaced out of the area, and she had contracted a strain of influenza A that had aggressively incapacitated her. All of her organs were shutting down rapidly. She was put on intensive life support, and had her husband not been a physician, she probably would have died then. 
And after four days of highly invasive life-saving maneuvers, she lived. But in the midst of that, as this woman who's 42 years old has three kids who are three, seven, and 12, as they're all anticipating the imminent death of their mother, I talked to the man, talked to the physician, and he just started sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing uncontrollably over what seemed to be the imminent death of this lady. And his comment was, he said, you know, in doing what I do, I, I deal with death all the time. And in order to deal with death, you build this wall of emotion. You, you build up this emotional wall, you, you sterilize it so that you don't have to do it, deal with it. But then every once in a while, when, when something breaks through that wall and gets to the other side, there's this torrential flood of all of these emotions from all of these other situations and all of these other deaths that uncontrollably come rushing through and the wall falls down. Or, you know, people for whom that's just part of their career, whether it's you're a soldier on the battlefield faced with gruesome tragedies, whether you're a social worker who's intervening in severe brokenness and relational brokenness, whether you're a medic or an ER, whether you're a pastor, or whether you're you. In certain seasons of life where you are the one that is confronted with unimaginable tragedy that will not be resolved and it's just dumped on you. How do you respond? Do you just suck it up and stuff it all in? Do you self-medicate with food or alcohol or going shopping or sitting on a screen of some sort? Do you just ignore it, hoping that eventually that all of, this, all of this will go away? Or do you just become calloused and cynical as you grit your teeth to get through it? Scripture calls us to do something radically different. And what Scripture calls us to do is to lament. And to lament the tragedy, the brokenness, the evil in this world. Indeed, there's more psalms of lament than any other type of psalm. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. And what a lament is, is that a lament is a formal expression of grief, a formal expression of distress, oftentimes written out, can be practiced, can be repeated. And a lament is different than just an emotional outburst of grief because a lament is a thought-filled expression of grief. No less sorrowful, but something that deliberately engages both the mind and the emotions. John Calvin wrote about the importance of doing so. He said, afflicted by disease, we shall both groan and be uneasy and pant after health. Pressed by poverty, we shall be pricked by the arrows of care and sorrow. We shall be smitten by the pain of disgrace, contempt, injustice. We'll be smitten at the funerals 
of dear ones. We shall weep the tears that are owed to our nature. But our Lord and Master groaned and wept both over his own and over others' misfortune. And he taught his disciples to do the same. After all, we, of all people as Christians, have reason to lament. And we should do so not as people without hope. But we do lament without denial, without surprise, without excuses, without despair. For we know that death is an intruder into God's good creation, that suffering itself is unnatural. We know that this world is not the way that it is supposed to be. We know that the creation groans for the, for the resurrection of the children of God through Jesus Christ. We know that Scripture calls us to groan and long for the day when Jesus Christ will return and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. And so Scripture calls us not just to throw our hands up in the air in the face of these tragedies, but rather to grieve true and genuine loss as a declaration of our faith in God and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a declaration of faith in the of faith in the excuse me, as a declaration of faith in the face of unimaginable pain. We lament. And so I'm going to briefly go through several different laments of Scripture to read them to you, and my goal is just to briefly address them and really to get out of the way so that you can use the time, the rest, the service to engage with God, to express to Him your own prayers, to express to Him your own laments. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but is representative I'll give you four different representative types of laments in Scripture. There's the lament over the advance of evil. Psalm 10 says this. Turn my clicker on. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised, for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. By the way, these are on the back of your bulletin. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight as As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all the generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. And under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush. Like a lion in his thicket, he lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him in his net. The helpless are crushed. They sink down. They fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. God's not going to do anything. Arise, O Lord. Lift up your hand and forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You 
will not call to account. What do you do if you're in a profession? You have to care for a woman who has been brutally battered by her boyfriend. And she will not turn him in. And given the privacy laws of your particular profession, it's illegal for you to report it. Which that is true in certain professions. How do you respond? You lament the evil that is in this world. And what the Word of God does, it not only gives us the words to express the lament, but also the hope that meets us in the midst of that lament. And we see that here in Psalm 10. But you do see, God, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find None. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And to this lament, God responds with the truth that evil will be no more, that there will be a day of reckoning, that it will not persist. And so when you are faced with the advance of evil, there are two things that you pray, two requests. You lament the situation to God, and then you pray for either his redemption of the, of the evil one or its eradication. You pray for redemption or you pray for eradication so that he who is of the earth may strike terror no more. That's a lament over the advance of evil. It's a lament, also a common category, of over the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous. Recently overheard a conversation between several men who had more money than they knew what to do with. All of their personal needs have been met. All of the needs for their kids have been met. All of their retirement and health care needs have been met. All of their end-of-life care needs have been met, not only for themselves, but for their spouse and for all their children and for all of their family members. And they had more money than they knew what to do with. And there was only one consideration. There was only one condition that what they did with it. It had to be spent on themselves. And they've been doing this for years, and they were running out of ideas of how to spend more money upon themselves. Quite frankly, I was shocked, and part of me was envious. And it turned my attention to Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. A lament over the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. 
loftily. They threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heaven and their tongues stretch through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back. That is, God's people turn to them and find no fault in them. That God's people don't criticize the wicked because they find no fault, because they're so prosperous. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge of the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. The psalmist laments as he entrusts himself to God. But he answers the lament with two truths. All is not what it seems. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, you rouse yourself. You despise them as phantoms. And the other truth is that the righteous are not abandoned. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. God is our security and he will never forsake us. Then there's laments over just generalized tragedy. Our communities had several over the last couple of months, a teenage suicide, a dog attacking a child in their home and killing them, car accidents, betrayals, situations relationally that just have not brought about resolution, though both sides have tried, they just doesn't come together. How do you respond? You lament. Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? How long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. Save me. For the sake of your steadfast love, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, the realm of the dead, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in the moment. The enemies here are non-Christians who taunt Christians in the midst of tragedy, who say, what good is your God? He didn't save you from this situation. The psalmist says, no, be strengthened, for God hears you and he will answer your prayers. 
a generalized lament over the tragedies in this world, then there are multiple laments just over our own sin, our own struggle with sin, and our own sinfulness. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I cannot do it myself. It has to be something outside of me. It has to be you who can cleanse me because I cannot cleanse myself. For I know my transgressions, the ways that I have not done what you have told me not to do. And my sin is ever before me. I'm aware of my guilt and my shame against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Even though I sin against other people, I have first sinned against you. You are justified in your words. You are blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. My problem is not only that I commit sins, but that I am sinful. It's not only a problem of what I do. It's a problem of who I am. I not only sin, but I am a sinner. O Lord, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold a willing spirit within me. It seems that the Apostle Paul knew the struggle and the wrestling in a in his own version of a lament when he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. I've got this internal battle going on because now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me, for I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do the right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who delivers us from our sin and from our sinfulness. You see what laments do for us in the practice of lament is that laments teach us, they teach us to bring our issues to the one person who cares more about them than you do, and to bring our issues to the one being, God himself, who can do something, who has done something, who is doing something, and who will do something. Laments teach us that even in the dark night of the soul, you are not alone. God is with you. In fact, he has given you words to articulate your struggle. 
and by articulating your struggle with his word, his word and his spirit thereby ministered to you as you recite the words of these psalms and passages of scripture. Laments teach us and enrich and, and, and they enrich our understanding of the cross. How it is at the cross that death and evil are conquered. At the cross that sin is atoned for and forgiven and guilt and shame is removed and covered with the righteousness of Christ. It's at the cross that laments teach us that it is there at the cross that God is reconciling all things to himself, whether on heaven or on earth. And so we sit here tonight reflecting on Jesus' suffering and on his death. Reflecting on all of all of the laments that sent Jesus to the cross. And laments teach us to cultivate your hope and longing for God. And they cultivate our longing for his redemption. It calls us, laments call us to put our hope and confidence in God himself, the only one who is big enough, smart enough, loving enough, gracious enough, who is just enough to rescue us and redeem us, the same very one who turned the greatest evil in this world, the death of his own sinless son, into the greatest good. Laments cultivate our longing, and they teach us to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. So tonight, what do, you, what do you lament? What do you lament in your own life, in your own spiritual condition? What do you lament in your family? What do you lament in your community, in the brokenness of this world? On the back, these psalms are listed there for you, for you to review so that you can reflect on them yourself. They don't exactly address what's going on in your own heart. I laid out there a a pattern of lament on the bottom. When you say, Holy Lord, and you, you are, and you describe some aspect of God's character that relates to the situation. Holy Lord, you are just, for example. And then you lament what you see. Yet when we see evil, our hearts are troubled. Why, O Lord, do you allow these things? The petition, what are you asking? In our helplessness, we turn to you for, fill in the blank. And then you express trust. We trust in you in this situation because of what you have done in the past and because of who you are in this aspect of your character. So what we're going to do, I'm going to close this in prayer. Um, I'll institute the Lord's Supper and personally, I'm going to take some time to pray. I encourage you to use the next while to pray, to lament. When you're ready, come forward to communion. There's four different stations. We'll pray with you, pray for you, pray over you. Music will be playing. The hymns will be listed on the screens. And so you can also turn to the songs in your hymnal and reflect upon the words that are there. Let's pray together. Father, I praise you that you are not a God who is detached and removed. 
that you are not a God who calls us to be, attached, to be detached and removed from the brokenness and suffering in this world. But you are a God who is not distant but draws near. Father, there are some in this room tonight who are hurting and hurting deeply over the brokenness in their life, in their relationships, in their own spiritual well-being. Some who are wrestling with how, O oh Lord, could a just and loving God allow the things that go on in this world. Lord Jesus, hear our prayer. And may we, your people, lament well. May you be glorified in our lament. And may we be strengthened to know your presence in our struggle. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.